Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. So welcome everybody to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Corey Frank. And with me, as always, is the sage of sales, Chris Beal. And Chris, you know that we don't do this often, but when we do, right, it's usually because we run out of things to talk about. No, it's usually because we have uh, interesting, compelling, face-melting guests that usually has something to offer to the community, which is growing every day. And today we have the CEO of Sada, Tony Safoyan. Tony, did I pronounce that correctly? Perfectly, Corey. Great. Tony, as the CEO of Sada, is able to lasso all the mystery and complexity and value of the cloud where all the bags of money and blood live in a world without... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we're all laughing. We'll talk about uh, the key word that we use there in a minute. But uh, Tony runs one of the top cloud consultancy uh, service providers in the world. In fact, I think, Tony, wasn't it a year or two ago that you were Google's top cloud partner of the year? I think it was. So as modest as I'm sure you are, Chris and I like to get the accolades out of the way at the top. So I think, Chris, you know, turn it over to you. How did you meet Tony and why? Because we talk about a lot of folks we come in contact with in our world that Tony should be in the hot seat for the market dominance guys today. Well, I just got lucky. So I'm a customer of SADA's, made a big decision to move from AWS to Google Cloud based on the fact that the Google Cloud folks will actually join in with us and help with the marketing and ultimately maybe in the co-selling of our product, which is something we didn't see out of the other guys. And it provided another bunch of you know wonderful things too, cost savings and superior technology, superior speed. You know how speed-centric we are. We're really speed-centric. So we had a great experience working with SADA effectively as the folks who brought us into Google Cloud. So they were our vehicle, so to speak, to get there and get there successfully and very quickly. We moved 14 production systems over there in a matter of a few weeks. And then the great, great, insane good fortune of getting to go down to Austin and participate in a test drive of Connect and Sell with Tony's team. And it was, I can only report, it was a riot. It was really (laughs) fun. They killed it. There were dead bodies everywhere. Talk about blood. There was blood on the floor. (laughs) It was flowing. And they actually, unlike most test drives, they didn't just do it, but they made money doing it, I believe. I'll uh, leave it to you to say they really made money doing it. And so now we're each other's customers. And then he kindly invited me onto his podcast, Cloud and Clear. And we had a lot of fun there. And so I got to tell all my stories there, but Tony didn't get to tell all his stories. So now it's your turn, Tony. So how do we get into this craziness? Tell tell Uh, us. I don't know. I love the hot seat. That's all I got to say. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we're lucky. We're lucky to have you. And I'm curious, um, Tony, when you saw a weapon like Connectatel in the test drive, I always like to get into the blood and guts and, and of the dials and the 
epiphany and the exponential, you know, amazement that happens as it creeps across the floor, as people realize you can talk to more than one person an hour or so. So that was kind of where the test drive was. What have you kind of seen thus far and the business perspective? I'm just always curious to see a little bit of inside baseball of how you've been able to adapt to kind of this new type of weapon that you have on board. So to be able to independently source pipeline in the Google Cloud ecosystem is not a trivial task. We've been partnering with Google for 14 years now. For many of those years, us and the rest of the Google ecosystem was completely dependent on the Google sales organization to introduce them to customers. And we knew this was a risk. We knew that it was maybe us not being the best possible partner in the world, meaning delivering value at that part of the value chain at the pipeline side. So a few years ago, we started doing marketing pretty well and developed some inside sales capacity capability. But 12 months ago or so, we had the desire 10x that impact. We went out on this journey to build the most prolific, active, successful, most active inside sales organization, dedicated organization, really for the first time. And we found this gentleman, Billy France, who is well known by Chris, to say the least. He has this incredible team. He's built from scratch, 15, 20 folks. And they use a lot of traditional tools and methodologies, and they were very, very good at it. And some of it is uh, wide net, and other part of their approach is very, very targeted. And in a short amount of time, we started breaking all sorts of records. Like nobody at Google and ecosystem had sourced them on a pipeline, the number of opportunities. And these are very well vetted. They have to be submitted into a platform that Google has to approve and the field has to okay and validate that, yes, this is a new opportunity. Yes, it's qualified. So there's a lot of rigor behind it. So the pressure I was putting on Billy was immense. And of course, he was delivering. And Matthew on his team, just a great add to his leadership structure and all of that. But they were seeking the best tools in the business, period. Because these days, it's important to be multi-channel. It's important to build great content and awareness, but nothing is as powerful as the phone call. And there just has never been a very efficient way to do this, especially now when people don't pick up the phone. I don't pick up the phone. You pick up the phone? I, don't, I generally don't pick up the phone, right? So when this concept of this platform, which on the surface is like, well, this is not inexpensive in nominal terms. Like this is like an enterprise class investment, right? When, when the premise behind the Technology was revealed and Billy was so gung ho. I mean, he was so gung ho. He's like, we have to do this, man. He's like, we have to do this game changing. I was like, really? Like, this is, it's 2020. Like, what do you mean game changing? Like, you mean there's something that hasn't been done? <laughs> right? How is it possible? Like, you know, enterprise sales has been around forever. And then, of course, I got to know Chris better and he explained even further, like, the genesis of the platform. I know that at that test drive uh, that we did, I mean, by the way, it was in Austin near the Google offices, we had, we had Google folks come in from the cloud organization, field sales managers and sellers kind of join in like, what is this spectacle that is about to happen, right? I mean, it was an unbelievable experience for that team. They felt superhuman. They felt emboldened. They felt powerful, productive, and they just could not believe the efficiency behind it, right? And Chris and I talk about this on my podcast, but the adrenaline rush, man, the adrenaline rush, somebody picking up that phone <laughs> and you have a few seconds to ensure that they stay, right? Like it's almost like the rawest form of 
sales execution ability, which so many of us have forgotten, but that's actually, that's how I cut my teeth at a dot-com in the late nineties, early, early two thousands. I went from being extremely fearful of, of the phone to loving it in the early days and the platform like connect and sell that took a lot of that inefficiency out. The ROI is just was unbelievable. So of course, we're a big customer of Connect and Sell. Connect and Sell is a big customer of ours and Google Cloud. And, you know, I look at people like you, Corey and Chris, and I'm like grateful that this level of thought leadership exists and is happening and it's in the ether and we're talking about it because I think without pipeline, none of us could be in business. That's where it all starts. Without pipeline and without trust-based conversations, you know, Chris, I think it's worth repeating. I know, uh, Tony, you're a believer just like I am, but Chris, the number of bits in a phone call versus everybody talks about cold calling is dead, right? How many episodes have we dedicated to that? How many LinkedIn posts, Tony, right? Do you see cold calling is dead? I think there was another rash of them this particular week of this insanity. But when it comes to trust-based conversations, Chris, I always think it, I always try to poke the bear and, and get you to riff and wax uh, locations here about the value of a phone call versus a simple email, just from a scientific, from a bits per second perspective. So maybe that would be helpful for kind of the audience kind of setting the stage. And since you already have two believers in me and Tony here online too. They got to access all of their company's information, which is a bunch of bits, and they have to do it with a bunch of computer programs, which is another bunch of bits, and they got to do it without having a breakdown and all that happening. Well, if all the bits are behind a wall, isn't it funny that we call those firewalls? Like, what's trying to get up my bits is a fire that's going to burn down the house, right? It kind of is, though. If you just let anybody in, bad things happen. But when you keep everybody out, bad things happen, and you get the bits outside in a safe place where they're accessible by everybody, including folks working from home, the bits can participate in saving the economy. And by the way, this is something I truly believe has happened. I think it's happening right now. I think it's not recognized widely that it's happening. And companies that Tony's team is working with are kind of getting it. Like Tony, you told me the other day, those who didn't move to the cloud are kind of wishing that they had, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's always Pretty about fun. the bills. Here's the simple info, an email, fully read email, carefully read. Somebody's thinking about it while they're reading. It has about 5,000 bits of information in it. That is one quarter of one second of a live human conversation on the phone. Quarter of a second is 5,000 bits. And it takes a lot of bits not to get somebody to know what you know, but to believe that you, that you care enough about them that they're going to trust you with their secrets. And that's what sales is all about, is getting somebody to trust you with their secrets because their secrets are pain. Nobody wants to share their pain with the world. So it's the same thing as the cloud. The cloud itself, I believe, has saved the economy. I, don't, I think it should get the Nobel Prize, the Peace Prize, the Nobel <laughs> Prize for Economics. It should, the cloud should be Man of the Year on Time Magazine. <laughs> You know, if they had magazines, yeah. now the cloud should be like, we got yeah. it should be all those things. And the fact is the human voice is the one thing that carries enough information, I'll call it, in the other cloud. Because the long distance phone calling was the original cloud. It was the cloud that's, that made the latter part of the 20th century work, where we could actually talk to people far away and do business yeah. with them because they could trust yeah. us, right? So the long distance phone call was the second cloud. The first cloud was the telegraph. And then they came along the phone, which wasn't a cloud because you were always behind the firewall of being just local phone calls. And then it got released. 
and became the cloud. And then that cloud contracted inside of voicemail, 2003, 4, 5, and has had a hard time getting out. That's our job. But then Google and, and their other folks that they, they're similar to provided sort of the next generation, except it was the long distance phone call for every application, every system, every archive to work together with the human beings all over the earth in an unlimited way. And it's saved the economy. It literally has. And I think we should like do this. Um, cannot, cannot disagree. Cannot disagree. Yeah, so I, I think it's quite remarkable. You guys are, I mean, to me, Tony, you guys are on a mission that is interesting because at one level it's so nuts and bolts, right? It's so, you, I mean, talk about workloads. A workload is a workload is a workload is not a workload, right? That's not trivial stuff. Everything in the world of software and everything in the world of hardware as a result is tangled up together. They don't yeah. call it spaghetti code for nothing, right? That's right. It's all tangled up and you have to help folks get that stuff up from where it is, where it's all stuck and glued into all these different systems and nobody even remembers how they're tangled up and help that come up and move to a place where it's all accessible by people like me working from home. What's the, what was the key? Why are you guys so good at it? Because it's one of the hardest things in the world. Selling it is one thing, but you guys have to actually do it. What would you embark on such a crazy adventure? Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. Part of it is, I think, just being on the right side of history for a long period of time. As you both know, selling and delivering something you don't believe in is a very hard endeavor, right? So when the cloud started to become a thing in the mid-2000s, and we had a very on-premise related view of the world like everyone else did, when the thoughts started to come together, it wasn't a debate for us whether or not that's where it's all going to end up eventually. So just creating a culture around that journey. It started with email. It was the first thing we worked on, 2006, seven, eight, nine. Then went to maps and geolocation services, then, then enterprise search, and then voice went to the cloud. It was like, look, this is going to the cloud. And then on-premise custom applications and the data center was next. And there's $4 trillion worth of this stuff out there in the old paradigm. And I think if you get the general methodology of what the journey to the cloud looks like, yes, it's in part technical, but a lot of it is cultural. So if you get the cultural piece right, like, yes, this is a difficult decision for customers to make. It is something that engineers that work at our customers are either afraid of or unaccustomed to. And so that's part of the work streams, right? It's not just 
convincing the CIO or the CTO or VP of engineering that this is a good idea, but it's, we need these engineers to come along. In the early days when we used to migrate email, the biggest barrier was like the team that ran the email backup. Exchange administrators were like, we don't want to move to the cloud. Like our whole job is defined by this box that's sitting here, you know? So just 100x that. And that's sort of the modern data center migration conversation. Engineers are an interesting bunch to recruit, to nurture, to retain, to motivate. They want to do cool stuff and they want to work with other exceptional engineers. So bringing in just over a year ago now, the best CTO on the planet we could find, which is a gentleman who ran the global solutions architect team at Google for five years. And he did that also at AWS four years prior to that was a huge step forward for us in terms of engineering culture within SADA. And of course, now other top engineers that are interested in this space just want to work in that orbit. So recruiting engineers actually has never been easier for SADA. But even prior to that, we understood that engineers are generally not like salespeople at all. And they're not like a lot of other folks within any companies that they're not coin operated. You can't say, I'll pay you more if you move faster. Or... I'll pay you more if you stay. That's actually almost irrelevant to most engineers. It's there's a hygiene factor of, you know, comp and benefits and all that stuff, but they want to work around other engineers they admire for their engineering ability and acumen and experience and contribution to open source and other things that, you know, engineers kind of measure each other by. But they also want to do meaningful work at the edge of technology innovation. So that's why when we go into a typical customer who has engineers, and if let's say this customer is not very tech forward, those engineers are bored. They've gone to like maintenance mode. Maybe they're building some cool things. But our approach is, well, our engineers are on the outside. We see hundreds of environments tackle the most complex challenges. So we come in with a different perspective of experience. But where the SADA approach in the market is different is that we compete in the enterprise at a space that's been traditionally dominated by the global systems integrators and the outsourcers. And the way they like to engage with customers is they want to come in and like replace those people. They want you to outsource this thing to them. And we come in with an orientation of, I don't have a hundred people I can put on staff there for three years. I have four ninjas who are the best in what they do with project management and program management and then all these other folks. They're going to come in, help you get started on this journey, lay the critical foundation of security and architecture and make sure it's all done right. And then spend a lot of time on the enablement piece so that your engineers, which they will surprise you, are going to get enabled to take you most of the rest of the way. And I think customers really resonate to that. Engineers that we end up having to work with at our customer sites love the opportunity to go get certified and learn BigQuery or Kubernetes or whatever it is, Anthos, right? And then our engineers go in and they see the direct impact on those people's lives and also the company that we just helped transform. And it just fills them with tons of fulfillment and meaning in the work. And, you know, I think that's where we have to continue to win as an organization. We have to have a tremendous amount of exceptional engineers because the selling side, I love how you always frame it, which is value at every interaction. And if your intent is pure and it is, you're there to help. In aggregate, there's actually unlimited demand for the work that the cloud providers do and then the partners do. In fact, globally, the demand 
greatly exceeds the supply of all the engineers in the world and all the partners like Sada that could do this work. So having that meaningful conversation after you get good at it, like that's not gonna be ultimately the limiting factor in a customer's journey. It's gonna be other things like their trust. Do they trust you? Can you really save them money? Are you on their side? Are you gonna be there for the next five to 10 years to support them in this path? And that trust really starts with that first phone call. That's fascinating. This whole question of culture is something that's discussed a lot. The culture and its role in digital transformation of all kinds is much discussed here at the dinner table. This is what we talk about. Now, my fiance's talk that she gives publicly is about how in her journey of trying to figure out what digital transformation is really about, what are the constraints, what she discovered is the constraint is always culture and the enabling technology, so to speak, is always culture and cultural change. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that you've delved into engineering culture, both as a supplier of engineering culture and a consumer of it in a funny way. That is, you consume your, com- your customer's engineering culture as an input to your process. Mm-hmm. Right? It is fascinating. I, I never heard it described like that before. As an old, I don't know if I'm an engineer. You know, I'm one of those guys who's written more than a million lines of code, and I still don't think I ever became an engineer, right? I don't know <laughs> how that happens, but it does sometimes happen in the world. I don't think I ever had that mindset completely, but that one piece that you talk about, which is what Deming used to talk about, people work for pride of workmanship, not for cash compensation or anything else. And even salespeople do. Mm. Believe it or not, sales, I mean, we all know this, right? Really, salespeople who say they're coin-operated, I'm sure never are. (laughs) They just never are. They're just trying to hide behind that shield so that they don't have to be accountable for what they would prefer not to be accountable. So so they don't have to update the CRM system. (laughs) (laughs) Which may keep them from having to do anyway, so it's all right. But that's, that's kind of something. So we're in that process. You describe where you've got to. And you know the big draw of the cloud is out there, right? That's... I had the same experience, in, I think, in 1983 when I knew that Unix was going to take over the commercial computing world. And I quit my job and I did my first startup, which was a Unix-based uh, ERP system written from scratch. Wow. So that was like... it was That's not ambitious at all, Chris. No, it's not ambitious. I had an orange crate to put on, so it was really, it was quite comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> a little terminals banging away. We built our own relational database management system from scratch, from the ground up, from bits, right? And, um, you know, went after that. But why? Because you didn't have to be a genius to figure out that that glow in the east that you can't read by yet is eventually going to bake the landscape. Whatever that thing is, it's got to be really bright to be glowing that much before it gets up over the horizon. And the cloud must have felt like that to you way back in the early 2000s. Like, as long as you don't go out of business and you agree to operate by internally by principles that are sufficiently deep that you're not going to end up having no keel and being blown every which way, you sort of can't lose. Now, you guys have gone, well, you can't lose. You've sort of gone into you know, the magic place, right? Is that how you felt? Or were there moments along the journey when it's like, yeah, I get that we can't lose, but we could lose? <laughs> I think it's healthy to operate in this infinite mindset, infinite game mindset, which Simon Sinek talks about, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. 
we're just sort of visitors into this time and place of enterprise software sales or sales or technology, whatever you call the space, right? And we're players in the game. And if you think in infinite terms, it's not a game that has a finite end or some kind of scoreboard that you can point to at the end of a quarter or a half or the season and say we won or lost, per se. So I think with this mindset that, look, we're blessed and we know we're blessed and we're so fortunate to be in an environment that's growing, in a market that's growing 50-60% anyway, that has unlimited demand, essentially, and we're on the right side of history and we have a little bit of a head start, that we really just only have to focus on getting incrementally better every day. We get incrementally better every day in the areas that become clear to us by virtue of enough customer conversations or internal debates or feedback and input from Google, et cetera, we shouldn't really ever have to exit the game. And that's actually when you lose an infinite game. The, the closest definition to losing a game like this is exiting the game. Simon Sinek makes a lot of references to, I don't love war analogies, but he calls it like the Vietnam War or let's say the Cold War. The biggest mistake that the United States made when the Berlin Wall fell down is, is thinking that they won the Cold War. It never stopped. <laughs> so as Corey said, it's almost like, so what that we won like the Global Seller of the Year Award two years in a row? It's not like game over. <laughs> it's actually like so early in this transformation journey that I don't know if we can win because it's an infinite game, but we certainly can mess up. And if we do, shame on us, because I feel like most of it, the destiny is, is clearly in our hands. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of humility and self-awareness, but certainly a focus on just customer obsession, a focus on incremental improvement, reinvestment, which a lot of business founders, especially bootstrap business founders or others, forget. I think the part that we're well beyond it, as you're defining it, is we're well beyond the lifestyle business. <laughs> it's like no longer about like what's in it for me. This is like we have this amazing opportunity to make something big in a way that's never been done before. And boy, can we impact thousands of lives and hundreds of companies if we do it right. Well, I think if you look at where the cloud is, is that it's uh, maybe started out where it's not like you say, I don't believe in gravity. Well, because gravity believes in you, right? You can <laughs> right. say, well, I don't believe in taking my servers and moving them out into the cloud because of X or security or Y, et cetera. Well, the cloud believes in you and it's going to zap you up. So how much, Tony, would you say now versus early on versus today, you were probably doing a lot of educational advocacy, educational missionary work, and they were maybe crying and screaming to move... Versus today, you may have yeah. more of, hey, here's my specs I need in order to move. And you've probably seen that on an X and a Y axis, probably move a little bit less. But but nevertheless, I know a lot of the fun and the culture, especially what you're seeing in the engineers, is still in the educational advocacy, the thought leadership that a company like SADA plays. So how do you kind of balance that where you have kind of the laggards who are coming, but you still have the cool kids who are the early adopters who are your core clients and constituency at SADA that want you to say, okay, what's next, Tony? What's next? What's next? Yeah. And to balance those two on the curve from the late adopters to the visionaries, it's got to be a challenge. It's a challenge and the work there is changing. But Corey, we're very accustomed to working in an environment where we knew and had complete conviction on what the right destination was going to be. But 
we've operated in a period of some level of doubt for at least 15 years. So in the beginning, to your point, mid to, uh, to late 2000s, it was you were selling the customer on the premise of cloud. You were trying to convince them that cloud was not a fad, that it was here to stay. And back then with email in higher education, if you believed in cloud, the answer was Google because they were the only ones doing it. Right? So it wasn't like we weren't so much selling, selling Gmail to universities. We're just convincing them this is not a fad. And then, you know, then, then Microsoft uh, got their acts together in the cloud. Then we had these two disparate businesses and there was still a lot of like, well, which one's better than that? Or when do I make this migration? But in the early days of partnering with Google, you can imagine that that was not that cloud was real. Because, okay, fine, yeah, Amazon proved cloud is real, Salesforce proved cloud is real, and now even like, we believe in cloud now, but is Google really cloud? <laughs> you know, like, are they serious about the enterprise? Because they're really an ads business. We've dealt with that for many, many, many years. And in the last, certainly two years, with Thomas Kareem coming on board, and Rob Enslin, and Kirsten Cliphouse, and, and Janet Kennedy here in North America, I don't think, really since Diane Green arrived and consolidated things and built this great 13,000 employee organization within Google that was like cloud, we haven't gotten that objection so much anymore. But now the conversation is, okay, we know cloud is real and Google is serious, but Google's number three. And we're like, yes, that's true, but it's so early and they have the best technology. And as engineers, it seems obvious to us that customers should always just pick the best technology. And probably if you're Google, which has consumer roots, you're accustomed to a market dynamic that always shakes out such that the best technology wins. Google Maps won because it was better than MapQuest. Simple. Gmail was better than Hotmail. It's just, there's no like selling, there's no like training, there's no migration, it just happens, right? And consumer technology, Instagram, like consumer technology is always defined by, look, just make the best stuff. You'll get the most users. And I was talking to Janet Kennedy yesterday who runs US and Canada. And she's been through like the IBM enterprise days and the Microsoft enterprise days. And she was at IBM early days when it was like OS2 versus uh, Windows NT. And IBM had this big campaign of like NT stands for not there, you know. <laughs> IBM arguably had OS2 what was way better than Windows. Technically, and that's just one story. There's been story after story, and Chris has been in the industry for a long time. It is very often the case that the best technology has not won. So what is the conversation with the customer today and what TK and all these sort of enterprise experts who are coming into the space are realizing and are helping partners execute the same way, which is, it's really about risk. That's how the enterprise buys. Yes, they want transformation, but nobody wants to lose their job for picking Google. They don't care if it's the best technology. They'll take the third best technology if it means that their decision will not be questioned. So how do you have those transformational conversations? It has to do, yes, you have to be at least as pretty much every time, but what about your commercial contracting ability? What about your enterprise support? What about professional services? What about product roadmap? What about my direct access to Google executives or SADA executives? You know, that's what the enterprise engagement today looks like. And Google has also gotten smarter and more capable since TK has arrived to have a much broader strategic conversation with the largest customers. If you look at Activision going Google, that was not about, oh, you can run Call of Duty in our data centers versus yours, and that's better. It might be better, yes. This is about, we're going to transform gaming. Like, 
with Stadia and everything else and YouTube, and we are going to have a comprehensive strategy to transform Activision's business. Sabre, Deutsche Bank, these 10-year billion, multi-billion dollar deals, that's about completely revolutionizing the banking experience for customers at Deutsche Bank, right? And them being able to do with, with the data things that they just could not do for the last 100 years running on mainframes, right? Sabre was like transforming the travel experience from the moment you're searching for your flight on google.com. Not about, oh, you should move out of this data center and go to that data center. So I think more and more that's what customers are looking for, at least in the enterprise. Or it's not even about like, is this point solution from this vendor better than that vendor? Is the cloud thing real? It's like, what is the transformational impact and outcome to my business if I choose Google versus somebody else? How is Google as an enterprise going to support me versus somebody else? And I think that's never been truer or more compressed in the context of digital transformation as we're facing right now, because every customer is different in their behavior than they were four months ago. So if you're an organization that does not know how to meet your customer where they are, which is online or in their home or whatever, then your business model is dead. We don't have many guests, but when we do, we have the best. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.